All right, everyone, welcome back to another weekly roundup edition of On the Margin. Today, I'm joined, as always, by my charismatic co-host, Mr. Mark Yusko. What's going on, Mark? Ah, you're too kind, Michael. Thank you. And uh, look, I'm super excited today. And, uh, you know, I, I'll do the sock reveal, but I'm not wearing socks, so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold them up because uh, it's just too damn hot again. I mean, it's, it's just really hot. But so I got, you know, normally I wear the orange pants, but no orange pants. Got the orange shirt. Do have pants, but orange shirt. So it is. It is Bitcoin Friday, but you know we're full on engaged with the Bitcoin bull. So I mean, All right. you know, I, I said it two weeks ago on this show for the first time that you know winter was over. I said I wasn't wasn't sure, wasn't sure. I'm sure. I am positive. Winter's over. Spring is here. Now spring doesn't mean straight up bull market. So mm. I'm not saying we're not going to have volatility. We will, but uh, I think I think we're kind of locked in to a, a really nice channel. You know, we've had four successive higher highs uh, and higher lows. That's really that's really bullish. And look, could we have a a final distribution kind of ugliness? Sure. But pretty much all the big sellers that I can come up with have sold. And now we're seeing a very good accumulation pattern. I did a, I did a random, some guy invited me to a space, spaces last night, um, you know, Bitcoin maxi space. And I, I love doing these spaces. I think we talked about this where I love to, to go to a Bitcoin maxi space and like, oh, you're a shit coiner. What are you talking about? I own more Bitcoin than you. And they're like, that's not the point. You know, you own Solana and you own ETH and, yeah, yeah. Why does that make me a shit corner? I, I don't understand. Um, but then you go to you know some of the uh, fringe like NFT, not fringe, but but the the NFT or or Solana spaces or whatever. You're a maxi. All you care about is Bitcoin. I'm like, what are you talking about? Again, I own more Solana than you. It's just weird. Um, <laughs> but the tribalism is still there. But but I will say, even though there was pushback, and even though I, I got on my my high horse about you know, I'm really kind of pissed off about this, you know, lashing out against the lenders and the, and the exchanges, you know, everybody wants to, you know, put your your stuff in cold storage and uh, you you can't have it all in cold storage and bear it in the backyard. That, that just doesn't get us, get us further ahead. But it was interesting. I was amazed how many people on this space had a real understanding of what it means to be a sovereign individual. And not like the anarchist, like, you know, fuck the government. No, so I can't say the F word. Um, but it's HBO, baby. Yeah, I know, that's right. <laughs> um, uh, but 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 really understood that no, 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 you 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 have to control your destiny because a bank can decide. Yeah, not your money, it's my money, and take it away. It's true. And if you're with a multi-sig corporation and that corporation disappears. And I, you know what? It's fair. It's fair. But there are people who just, they just need centralized finance, right? They're just, they're just not going to get to the tech savvy level yet. Um, Maybe if it's easier, maybe if they're better tools and hopefully you'll invest in some of those tools, but yeah. I, I think, too, it's interesting. Some of the C5 folks like, um, I mean, at Permissionless, right, Coinbase uh, and Robinhood both announced uh, non-custodial, uh, you know, options. So, I mean, yep. it'll be interesting to see some of these more crypto native C5 
banking type institutions, how they integrate some of those DeFi rails underneath. Um, yep. We've got a, a real interesting show. And by the way, I'm going to give you credit because I sit here weekly and I listen to you and you have been very right about a bunch of calls that I was wrong on. You were the one who called the top uh, back in November of last year uh, where I was not so sure. So I will say listening to you say spring has sprung, my ears have perked up. So uh, Well, um, I, you, you're very kind and, and look, but it's, it's the process. It's the dialogue and debate that makes it work. And it's the charts yeah. that you put together. And, and that's, that's why I, I love this so much every Friday is. Me too. It, it, it is really important to take time away from the, you know, scrolling and the, the focus and the, and the, you know, fast pace to just sit and think, talk, talk about history and talk about philosophy and talk about, you know, the future and, and, and to debate whether something is or isn't. Like I said, two weeks ago, I was not sure, but I had a construct and, you know, and it'd been going on for a month, right? June 14th looks like it was the bottom. Um, but every week we talk about different things. And, and so it, it's not me, it's us. I, I would agree. And I, Favorite, favorite hour of my week as well. I, I will say before, because we got a bunch of great macro content to get into because we had uh, GDP this week. We had mm-hmm. the FOMC. Um, and I want to get your take on both Lack those of things. GDP this week. Lack <laughs> of GDP, exactly. Um, so, uh, But I chose Charismatic this week for a specific reason um, because I am remembering, uh, and I got to do a little plug here for our upcoming, we're seven weeks out now from Digital Asset Summit, oh. which you will be coming back to in New York, uh, which is a ton of fun. I actually, I want to use this actually to tell one of my favorite stories. This was one of our first conversations. I don't know if you remember this. The first time I do. that that you closed down DAS, you yeah. and I got on this call and we were like, we were so excited internally. We, like, we got Yusko. He's booked. He's going to be the closer. We're so psyched up. We're like, all right, Mike, hop on a call. Like, let's flesh out what we want to talk. And you and I had this great talk about, uh, you're like, I really yeah. want to talk about how on the, like the allocator level, right? The incentives aren't there on the manager level. It is, but on the allocator level, it isn't. Yeah. I'm like writing this stuff down. I'm like, this is going to be awesome. And then you get up there to, to close us all down and completely threw the script out, but you delivered this amazing <laughs> closing speech that's on YouTube. We got you like with the boxing gloves on the yeah. thumbnail. Yeah, I yeah. want you to go back and listen to this. Uh, it's just one of my favorite stories about you. But, um, the thing I remember most about that is and it was, I loved it, is you know, here I got these two great entrepreneurial guys, you and Yano, and, and you built this, this brand and it's, it's emerging and it's, it's got all these buzz and, and, I'm, and I'm like, okay, you know, the thing about this, and I'm looking out at this audience and they're, they're just good looking and I don't mean in a glamorous, <laughs> I just mean they're just people that look good, right? They're professional yeah. and they look good. This is good looking crowd and I'm like, you know, the talent migration into the space, like nothing I've ever seen. And I talked about, you know, yeah. this is the future and, and it's how you build is, is you have talent and, and uh, I get, and I get done and I'm, I'm jazzed up. And like I said, I got the boxing gloves out. Um, but I get to the end and this young guy, you know, he's a nice young. I mean, I love this. Like my yeah. kid's age. Right. Um, yeah. And you know, he's 30 something. So, Hey, I love, I love your speech. And would you call my mom? Like what? So my, you, you said that we were smart to come in this space. And my mom thinks I'm an idiot. I left this big law firm. I'm like, yeah, let's go call your mom. So we called his mom and convinced her that, no, her son was was actually really smart. He's doing really good, really well, really good. Nice, Mark. Uh, my wife, the English major, would be horrified. 
Yeah, well, um, I, I think I think whatever you said, it, it definitely landed uh, in the audience. And I, I'll give it a plug again. We've got Das coming back up. Mark's going to be there. Uh, he's going to close it down again. Uh, we've got a very macro-focused crowd this year. So I'll we try got, to stick uh, to Daniel the script Dimmer. this time. <laughs> no, you know I won't. Don't. No, you know I won't, I know, but yeah. I will try. I will try. <laughs> I will try. Um, but we got, we got a really good macro crowd. We got Daniel DiMartino Booth, Mike Green, um, Brent Johnson, some more macro type figures. We're blending all of that stuff. It's uh, in September in New York. I'll drop the link in the comments. You guys should all come. And just on that point, look, mm. the people that Mike just talked about, mm. these are like such heavyweight people. And they're my friends. I mean, I, I've known Mike since he was a child, right? I helped him get his first job. I mean, I mean, we've known each other forever. Danielle and I go back decades, although she looks like she's 30 and I don't. Um, and, you know, all Brent, Brent and I love each other, right? Even though we hate each other. Um, because Brent and I prove that it's okay to have different opinions. Yeah, I agree. You can still be friends, right? You can, you can actually have a discussion, a dialogue and a debate in search of truth, not trying to convince the other person, actually listening to the other person to learn and actually come away with it. And we had Brent on the show and still not agree. And it's okay. And you know, he and I have totally divergent views on China. He thinks he's right. I think I'm right. That's what makes markets. It's what makes beautiful friendships, the ability to uh, honor the other honor and respect other people for their intellect and their their views, because at the end of the day, most of these things are opinions, not facts. So, yeah, I agree, I totally agree, and it's always more useful. For, I love hearing the back and forth as well, because like I just like uh, hearing both sides of the argument. Uh, and speaking of both sides of the argument, um, I thought we had a definition for a recession. Apparently, we do not. <laughs> it's in some debate. Yeah. Apparently not. We're going to talk about the GDP contraction here. It's been a big week for macro things. I'm going to do this thing where I'm sharing my screen. We only have definitions for things, Michael, in the government when they uh, are favorable for the incumbents. So I would agree. Yeah. seems like those are malleable. Yeah. No, but it's like the CPI, right? The, the definition of the CPI has changed numerous times. And Mike Green can talk all about this and how the CPI number was so crazy in the, the 70s and in, in early 80s when you know Volcker broke the back of inflation. He's like, no, he, he didn't actually. He was making a mistake because he was looking at data that was double counting inflation. And so he just kept raising rates even though he shouldn't have. And so, quote unquote, so it was a total mistake, but it worked out. And, you know, bad decision, good outcome, uh, which is actually the most dangerous thing there is, right? There's four quadrants, you know, good and bad decision, good and bad outcome. A bad decision with a good outcome, oh, it's the most dangerous thing ever. It is. Yeah, because you don't learn, right? You don't learn. Um, no. And you think you're smart problem. and you think it's you. It's like, no, right. no, that was a bad decision. It's, like, it's like drunk driving, right? If you drunk drive and you get home alive, you think you can do that again? I'm like, no, you should never do that. Don't ever do that. Ever. Yeah, absolutely not. Um, well, there's been some drunk driving going on here. <laughs> right. So like we, I'm looking at, uh, if, you, if you're following along via audio, we're looking at uh, contribution to real GDP by sector. This goes back to Q1 of 2021. Uh, the categories are consumer spending, inventories, business investment, government spending, housing, and net exports. So looking at the current quarter, this is the second uh, quarter that there's been a consistent contraction in uh, real GDP. 
Normally, that would constitute the definition of a recession. According to the White House, there's still some wiggle room there. Whatever, everyone can make up their own mind. The survey of economists was the, uh, calling for a 0.4% growth in GDP. What we actually got was a contraction of uh, just under 1%, 0.9%. And the two big categories here that I want to zoom in, uh, uh, Mark, are inventories and housing. So inventories is the biggest drag. Uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about like inventories, what that means, how it contributes to GDP. And if we could even get into like the Walmart earnings thing, right? Because that was uh, there was some pretty interesting stuff that came out of the Walmart earnings. I'm not sure if you you uh, caught that, but oh, yeah. walk me through like what your, yeah. your what your kind of thoughts here are on when you're looking at inventories on this chart. Well, inventories are interesting in the sense that they they give you a, a a wonderful sense of of final demand. I mean, if mm. if you go to a store and the shelves are bare, right? There's a lot of demand. You know, that was <laughs> that was that was Best Buy. You know, during during the pandemic, right? Is you you couldn't right. find any electronics because they had supply chain problems. And so, so they had no inventory. And if you have no inventory, you have a lot of pricing power, right? If people, a lot of demand and limited supply, you, know, you have good pricing power. If suddenly the shelves are overflowing, you know, and you walk into Best Buy and they got TVs stacked up in the floor and you can't get around, it's, it's like, huh, interesting. And so they lose pricing power and profits go down and, and inventory stack up and, and, you know, if you're not selling stuff, you're not you're not contributing to to GDP growth. And I think inventories are also really interesting in that they they tend to to be cyclical, as you would expect. You know, supply and demand ebbs and and flows. But what's also interesting is the way companies account for it. And I think we talked about mm. this a couple shows ago, where yep. in 2000 2001, which and we'll get to why the definition quote unquote. Uh, of of uh, recession changed. Uh, this is now the second time changing back. Um, is that in two thousand, like kind of leading up to two thousand, Cisco and all these other networking companies, you know, they're making all these networking products, and and suddenly they started not selling as much. Demand was falling off, and, and the inventory stacked up, and and they would do this great trick is to counteract it. They would just write it off. They would just write it off. Now they wouldn't actually get rid of it. They would just write it off, take this big loss, quote unquote, and but they they'd explain it away. It's kind of like what Microsoft did the other day. They'd like, well, yeah, we missed earnings, but but next quarter is gonna be awesome. I'm like, well, but but why? We're gonna grow double digits. I'm like, well, but but why? You you've not grown for three quarters. Mm -hmm. So how how are you suddenly gonna jump to double digits? Oh, here's the trick. We take our inventory and we write it to zero. Then we sell it next quarter with zero cost of goods sold. And we get these huge profits. Like, no, 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 net is zero. I mean, you can't write it off in one quarter and, and then pretend it didn't happen. And so that, that to me is I think what we're about to see is we're about to see a whole bunch of companies do this accounting gimmickry to make earnings. And it might, it might save uh, GDP in Q3 and get it to, to slightly positive because they'll reverse that that inventory. And you see the, the big uh, up moves in inventories in the previous two quarters uh, in the middle there, where if you take the inventory draw away, there really wasn't much GDP. 
No. Um, I mean, that's that's the tricky thing. I mean, we had um, Larry McDonald uh, on this week's interview portion of the ep- of the show, and he said he had this line, which was like, I don't know how any business is operating in this environment. And it's true. It's extremely tricky from even like a very small business, right, all the way up to the Walmart of the world. And the reason why is because the Fed is basically they're they're finicking with demand, right? And they're mm-hmm. not like, oh, trying to like tinker here and there. They're injecting trillions and withdrawing enormous amounts of of uh, liquidity from the economy. Yeah. And that means demand, right? It's just very difficult to, to, to plan. So, you know, when I looked at Walmart and, uh, you know, Michael Burry, again, was right with this. He called it the bullwhip effect, right? Look, look at inventory in uh, tw- uh, Q3 of 2021 and Q4 of 2021. This huge, you know, huge surge in demand. And now it's like, oh, maybe that demand wasn't actually super real. So Walmart <laughs> stuck with a whole bunch of stuff. And now, yeah. now with inflation, people don't want to buy the high margin stuff. That was right. the other part of their earnings. Right. They're moving back to like the staples, the things they actually need. Yeah. So the things that Walmart's make, Walmart makes margin on, make, makes money on, nobody wants to buy. So they're sitting with it on their shelves. And it's, it's just so funny situation. you say that because I... Uh, we went camping this past weekend mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, we pull out the the air mattresses, you know, well, glamour camping, not, not hardcore camping, but because um, mm. uh, the wife went to. So um, not that she's not hardy, but, but she likes the, the car camping more than the, the backpacking camping. I like I the backpacking that. camping, but, but she likes the car <laughs> camping. So, so we pull out the air mattress and just to be safe, I, I fill them up the night before and sure enough. Phew, okay. So we run to Walmart at, uh, the morning on the, on the way to the, to the campground. And I could barely get through the aisles. I mean, there was just so much stuff piled up mm. in the aisles because the demand's just not there. And yeah. to your point, when you went to buy something like a staple, like marshmallows, <laughs> I mean, that staple for, for s'mores, but, um, <laughs> you know, less, less if I'm just kidding around. But, yeah. um, you know, supply and demand is really interesting in that we've talked about this is, you know, people keep talking about inflation. I'm like, no, no, inflation is when there's excess demand and, and limited supply or, you know, the opposite. You can have deflation where you have lots of supply and limited demand. But that's not the problem. The problem is we've created too much money. So we have currency devaluation and, and it's all the currencies are going down together. And I don't understand why if economic growth is contracting, which clearly is, this chart says it is, why do you want to slow demand by, like I say, jiggering with, with, with the, the credit? You know, oil prices, they're going down, right? We just re- re- released another 20 million barrels of the SPR. And that's why, you know, the export number is like, what do we make in the United States? Right? We make oil and we make some cars. That's it. We don't make other stuff. And, you know, but I, I think we talked about this too. Is Biden a couple weeks ago was like, you know, China is not the manufacturing engine in the world. We are. Like, on, yeah. on, on what planet do you live? No, we're, we're not. And, and we're not going to be, you know, all this talk about reshoring and we're going to invest all this money. Uh, and- oh, oh, wait, sorry. It's not reshoring. It's friend shoring. Have you heard this term? Oh, no. I have not heard that oh, term. Oh, my God. Wait, hold on a sec. I, I'm going to derail us a second. But, oh, shoot. Friend But Janet Yellen, yeah, friend shoring. I'd never heard of this. Yeah, I'm oh going to try God. to work through 
yeah, this is crazy here. Uh, so this is, um, I'll, I'll, I'll bring you this link after, but, uh, but this is a speech that, um, uh, that Janet Yellen made uh, at South Korean conglomerate LG's Science Park in Seoul on Tuesday. So she's talking about uh, it's it's drawing on this concept of uh, it's like it's related to onshoring or nearshoring, mm-hmm. but it's actually friendshoring because it's the act of transferring supply chains, you know, home or closer to home within like friendly ally type nations, right? Uh, not withdrawing from global trade, but again, as like a carrot, right? Maybe to complement the stick of sanctions within uh, U.S. government policy. It's like, oh, yeah, here, yeah. friends, have so some supply So it's the chain. furthering of the multipolar or bipolar, because it's pretty much bipolar, uh, two axes. Yeah. And look, <laughs> this is hilarious. I mean, th- this is how actually bad conflicts happen, right? When you mm-hmm. when you line up and you create teams, you know, it's like going to the playground and you start picking people, you're going to piss off somebody because they think they yeah. should have been picked on your team. And, and you know, I, I think um, China's so much better at this than we are, that us trying to do it just looks dumb, I think. I think it's, I think it's the definition of insanity is trying the same thing and expecting different results. And yeah. it's like, yeah. our, we just are not learning from this. You know what I would love to see? I would love to see some kind of official analysis on how effective the sanctions have been against Russia. <laughs> no, no, I would, that, that would, I would love happen. to see that. Go yeah. back, seriously, go back like three months ago. Uh, people were describing these sanctions as an evolved 21st century form of warfare where we exclude people mm-hmm. from, and, and forget, the, forget the argument that like sanctions actually end up starving, you know, impo- the impoverished parts of the countries that they're, I don't even think they're effective. They're not even effective. Look no, at they're the not even economy. effective. But Michael, if you called them what they are, which I, I love the fact you said that because you're one of the few people that, that says, and maybe I stole it from you. And actually, if you called sanctions you. what they are, they're starving women and children. That's what a sanction is. If you called it that, the average American would be, well, I, I don't, I'm not in support of that. I'm not in support mm. of starving Iranian children, Iranian children. I never get that right. Iran, Iran. Um, <laughs> It's but, just it's just not effective either. It's like we we have this uh, there's this doctrine, there's this school of thought clearly within Washington where what we're going to do is we're going to toss around our economic might in a world where our economic might is diminishing and diminishing and diminishing, right? right. So we're going to try right. to leverage our our, you know, position as the issuer of the yep. reserve currency. Yep. We're going to try to direct economic resources around the world. Our our share of the the global GDP is shrinking. It's been shrinking since the 1960s. Of course, we 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 need to wake up and, and adjust this. But there are more here. I want to I want to reshare again because there's a bunch yeah. of. I, I need to get your opinion on some stuff here. Uh, this is the so let's skip consumer spending here. Uh, but I want I want to get to. I mean, this was the, the real interesting one here. I've got business investment and housing contribution mm-hmm. to GDP. Mm-hmm. I threw these two up because just business investment in general. Like if you look at sentiment among small business owners, CFOs, they're at like record lows. Um, yep. But also housing is the one thing that this one, I just need you to explain it to me. And maybe it's because there's a lag or something. But all right, this is fu- this is the first time where you're finally seeing lo- like some contraction, right? In this like red hot housing market. But, you know, mortgage rates have, have gone back up. Interest rates have yep. gone back up. It yep. doesn't seem like the house. And th- there's an enormous amount of uh, inventory and shadow inventory that's come online in terms of housing. <laughs> but like, Rent, at least where I am, is still nuts. So walk me through, like, how are you thinking about housing 
is there still another shoe to drop? Because if there was, it, it would be housing for me. But well, I look, how, I know housing is dropping, and 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 that yeah. is the perfect, you know, the the chart on the right uh, with the with the big, you know, the the second largest decline in in years, is is real in the sense is look, if you double interest rates, right from you know. Two percent to four. I mean, mortgage rates from two percent to four percent, or two and a half percent to five percent. What happens? Mortgage applications drop ninety four percent. I mean, and so what happens is people who thought they were going to be able to afford a house, because part of the challenge of everything in the world is this idea that we turn things into payments. We don't talk about the price of things anymore. We don't talk about the price. We talk about, oh, well, I can I can extend my loan on my car. And you know, a car loan of three years when I was growing up was long. Then they went to the four-year loan. Then they went to the five-year loan. Now they have like eight-year loans. I mean, eight-year loan used to be for like a boat. Now boat loans are like 20 years, almost as long as a mortgage. Because boats cost almost as much as a house or an RV, same thing. And everybody focuses on, well, what's the payment? And same thing with mortgages, right? Housing prices aren't high because they're affordable. On Mm. what planet is a million and a half dollar starter home affordable? Mm. That's not affordable. And, oh, but the mortgage, well, right, it is unless mortgage rates go up. Now, if mortgage rates go up, and think about all the people who bought with these teaser rates, these low teaser rates, and now they're about to adjust. Now, the one thing for the good news for them is how people have looked at this. Ten-year yields are collapsing. I mean, collapsing. 3.3% down to 2.7%. I mean, we, we, we're like one person now. It, it's amazing. I know, I know my friend. Know. It's amazing. I mean, yeah. this, is, this is deflation. Right. This is not inflation. This is deflation. Mm-hmm. This is the the bond market saying, "Oh, geez, they really overdid it here. Things are going to get yep. ugly." And back to that definition of recession for a second. So, it used to be for decades, two consecutive quarters of negative GDP was a recession, and it was mm-hmm. pretty simple. But really, behind the scenes, there was this thing called the NBER, National Bureau of Economic Research that decreed when reset. Now they always waited like eight, nine, 10 months to decide. Oh, right. yep, definitely there was a, I'm like, well, that doesn't help me. Telling me 10 months later that the recession happened, it's really not that useful. So yep. again, another useless bureaucratic Washington entity that maybe not even, I don't even, I even know where they are, but you know, I assume they're in Washington, maybe they're in New York, but ridiculous, total waste of time, total waste of money. It's, it's like having, you know, hundreds and hundreds of, PhDs at the Fed who are over 360 some odd times they've tried to predict GDP. They got it right zero times. Mm-hmm. I flip a coin and I could be right half the time, but they're, they're never right. So the, the point is in, in 2001, um, you know, we had a surprise shock. First quarter was negative. People are like, oh, we're in a recession. Oh, no, no, we're not. No, we're not. No, we're not. You have to have two consecutive quarters. And look, second quarter is going to be positive. And it was mildly positive. Like, nope, not a recession. Mm. But, but okay, fine, not a recession. It has to be two consecutive quarters. 
But we're clearly in a recession. I mean, economy's contracting, things are getting bad. And then third quarter was negative and and made more negative by by 9-11. And people said, oh, nope, see, not a recession, not two consecutive quarters. And then the, the full year GDP was 1%, which is well below trend. And we we're clearly in a yeah. recession. Then nine months later, the NBA says, yeah, that was a recession. So mm-hmm. they're like, now it doesn't have to be two consecutive quarters. So for the last 20 years, you could have a recession without two consecutive quarters. Well, now we're back to having two consecutive quarters. I'm like, nope, nope, we, we said that's not a recession. Like, okay, no, what we said, anyway. So, um, you know, this is the ostrich, right? Ostrich, yeah. lion, lion, ostrich turns his back, says, oh, lion can't see me. Ha, ha, ha. No, the lion eats the ostrich. The ostrich just doesn't see it happen. So we can pretend it's not a recession. We can't. Yeah. I mean, markets are going to do what they're going to do, and they, they tend to lead real economic activity, right? So can, can you explain to me, I mean, the market reaction here? We're looking at the, the two-year uh, bond yields and the 10 year. And, you know, my understanding, right, is the two year and Fed funds rate highly correlated, right? Highly. Basically the same thing. The front end of the curve is where the Fed has most of the control. Then as you get kind of further out, the 10 year, it's more about growth expectations in general, right? So yeah. it's funny to see these two things kind of move in lockstep, right? We were flirting with the, you know, two and 10 year inversion a couple of weeks ago. Yep. Um, I mean, what, what's your what's your thought when you look at this? What is the bond market telling us? Well, the bond market is telling us they don't believe one, they don't believe that the Fed can raise rates much more because they're yep. going to break things. They also, the bond market also believes that the act of raising rates and constricting demand broke the economy. And now future growth is going to be lower. This is the fallacy. Got it. And I've talked about this forever. You know, there's this thing, the Fed model. And it says, well, if interest rates are low, then I should pay a high PE for, for stocks. I'm like, well, okay, mathematically, that, that is true. If I discounted a lower rate, my you know, future discounted cash flow net present value goes up, fine. But the fallacy is once you get below 2%, you basically, that level of interest rates is not a sign of economic strength. It's a sign of economic weakness. It's a sign of lower growth in the future. So I should actually pay a lower price if my earnings, and and this is the this is the the thing that I find so so funny. So everybody's missing earnings. Now some actually played the game well enough that they're not a miss, and this this, this makes you crazy, right? A year ago, estimates a dollar, you keep taking it down, keep taking it, down, and and then by by last week it was ten cents, and you report eleven cents. Yay! I'm like. No, that's not a beat. That's a miss by 89 cents. Hmm. And it's like, you know, you're, you're a high jumper. You walk up, you take the bar off the rack, you put it on the floor, you jump over it. I'm the high jump champion. No, no, that, that, that's hmm. no. So this, this collapse of interest, and this is a collapse, right? This is a, and you yeah. know, it's funny. I, I did, I don't remember what it was. It was Yahoo Finance or something or you know, bears. I don't even remember what it was. It doesn't really matter. And they said, you know, what do, what do you like here? And I said, well, I actually kind of like long bonds. Like, oh my God, long bonds. Don't you know interest rates are going to go up and that's, that you're going to get killed? I'm like, yeah, I mean, you have over the last year gotten killed if you had long bonds yeah. or any kind of bonds. 
But at these levels, I, I don't know. I, and so I, I like, I like long bonds here. I also like, you know, Chinese tech stocks for the same kind of reason. They, they got beaten down first and now China's kind of reliquifying. They're, they're realizing, Ooh, yeah, we, we overcorrected. And so I, you, you and I have talked about this too, right? Wrestler yeah. in high school, my coach, where, where the head goes, the body follows. You want to move somebody, move their head. The rest of their body will follow. Um, my other favorite one is, you know, we'd all, oh, I can't breathe. He's like, you can talk, you can breathe. You're fine. So, um, uh, I had a, I did wrestling for one year in high school. I had a, I'll tell you, I can't, I know we're HBO, but he had, they had a very NS not safe for work, uh, thing that he used to say to us when we were wrestling. All oh, the got it. All right. Well. I like it. You tell um, me offline. Good. But, uh, but here's my, here's my question. I don't know if you caught this. It was one of the fed governors a little while ago. Um, maybe a month, month and a half ago that said, came out and said, this is not going to be a repeat of the 1970s. Uh, and what he was speaking about specifically was, right, this idea, because it took them a while, right? It took Volcker a while to break the back of inflation. There were yeah. two recessions that he caused because there was this like stop start approach to fighting inflation, right? Which was, okay, uh, inflation starts to rear its head. Okay, the Fed, you know, kind of puffs out its chest and it starts to raise interest rates and it looks like inflation starts to recede and then they cut and ease. And then that ultimately is what led to some of the highest spikes here. So when I look at this, when I look at this chart and I just like try to use my logical, my logical brain, you know, okay, they're breaking the economy, but we've got a nine handle on inflation. The Fed has raised rates successfully, air quotes, right, to just over 3%, mm-hmm. and they're already starting to back off, doesn't that have to signify, right, the inflationary urges in the economy are not, have not been tamped down. They have not been stamped out, in my opinion. So don't, do you think that we get something of this, like, stop-start approach to fighting inflation? Where oh, man, that's Fed such a great question. To- that, again, and questions are so much better than answers, and um, the ability to form Intelligent questions is a superpower, but that's such a great question. And here's 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 the way I think about this: is I'm I'm in a minority camp. I don't think we have inflation, right? I've, I've talked about this over and over that you know CPI, what it is, is oil, used car prices. It's pretty much it. Most most other stuff is. I mean, food's up a little bit, and there's some. But but bottom line, the big increase, probably six points of the nine points, is is oil and and uh, used car prices from supply chain problems from chips, and that's you know used car prices have rolled over, and you know I don't get I don't get five emails a day. Hey, don't you want to sell your four year old Kia to us? You know, and and get it. No, not really. I, I like my Kia. Um, so I, I'm down to one a day instead of, you know, three or four a day. So I think used car price will continue down oil, oil is going down. And once those two things happen, that CPI number is going to collapse. Remember CPI is such a lagging indicator. It is the, the best to me, real time indicator of, of inflation is Bitcoin prices, mm-hmm. right? When, mm. when the Fed created, uh, or I shouldn't say inflation, in currency devaluation. So currency devaluation is what we saw. 
Fed created all this money. So did the other central banks around the world back in 2020. And if you take a pile of money and you create an equal pile of money, just think about that. We had a pile of money that had been created over 254 years and we created an equal pile of money in nine months. It's unbelievable, right? 50% of all the dollars in the history of the Republic in the past two years. If you do that, the value of that money goes down by half. And so everything, house of price of my house goes up. Oh no, my house didn't get better. It didn't. And so what happened is we had currency devaluation, but what happened over the last two years, how much Bitcoin up? Hmm, interesting, 100%. Exactly one over 0.5 is two. So perfect. So that's all it is. It's just currency devaluation. And the prices, oil is a weird thing because oil got manipulated massively, right? The Saudis yeah. sent all this oil to the US right during the right, in the middle of, of the beginning of the lockdown. They bought up all the warehouse space, all the oil tanker space in Houston, in the ship channel, and they pumped it full of Saudi oil. So they looked like this massive glut of oil because no one in Texas could actually get their oil into stores. Like, oh my God, wait, turn off the wells. And so oil prices, remember, they went negative. So not only to zero, they yeah, went negative. You had to weird. pay people to take oil. And so the crazy thing about that is it allowed Saudi to then go out and buy stakes because oil companies went down 85%. They went out and bought stakes in these oil companies for, for a song. And then what happened? Magically, that oil just vanished. They just stopped shipping it and filling up the things. And oil prices went up 200%. Okay, that looks like inflation. But if you look over a two-year period, oil prices were pretty much unchanged. Now, oil prices have rolled over, and I believe, you know, the White House just released 20 million more barrels out of the SPR, which is foolish. Um, but actually, you know, it's actually it's not that foolish in the sense that what you should do is when oil prices are high, you should sell, and when oil prices mm -hmm. are low, you should buy. That's what China does. If you look at China's management of their SPR, when oil prices are high, they, they release. And when oil prices are low, they, they load up. So that's actually not that dumb. But it's dumb because it's political. And all you're trying to do is lower the price of gas into the election. And, and I said in January, I think we'll see $60 oil right before the election. Um, mm -hmm. And that will totally collapse CPI back to 3%. And people will be like, oh, inflation. What a, what a no, no, not novel concept. Um, mm -hmm. But that's just my theory. I think you might be. I, but maybe maybe explain it for me because I, you know, I've I've heard you say that and I I get it. I I'm I'm with you. I I agree that it's a monetary phenomenon. But yep. for me, I'm just like stuff in my life costs more than it did. You for know, sure. I I kind of don't really care even anymore what the cause is. Like I'm just looking at my life and how I spend money, and my personal bucket is way up. And I feel like that's how most people think about it. No, no, and and Michael, that that is that is true, right? And, and that's, that's because people react to the notion. Like if, if you tell everyone that we're in a deflationary world, if we're in a, you know, a, a depression-like stat, what are people going to do? They're going to hoard. They're going to, um, they're going to prepare for the, for the dark. And what happens? You actually, right. it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Prices will fall. 
uh, monetary um, velocity will, will decline. If you tell everyone over and over again that we're in an inflationary environment and you better spend your money or prices are going to be higher tomorrow, what are people going to do? They're going to spend their money, right? Mm. My, my wife dropped off daughter and uh, kids at the airport. We're all going to Oklahoma this weekend for my father-in-law's 86th birthday. Yeah. Congrats. Awesome for pop. Nice. And uh, so we're leaving a little bit later. Um, but she said the, the place was packed. So if you, again, if, if you think price will be higher tomorrow, you're going to spend today. And what does it do? It creates exactly what, what you fear. And, and then people overreact because they couldn't get what they need from the supply chain. So if I only have seven bicycles in my shop and I know I'm not going to get any more bicycles, what am I doing? I'm going to jack the price up. And yeah. so you do get a, a periodic or an episode, not period, an episodic spike in prices or with people, you know, you know well, you know, I, I think I need, I think I need like a really high salary. Like for what? What, what value have you added? What, what have you done to contribute? Well, I don't know. I just, I just think I need it because everyone else is getting it. So that's real. That, that what you feel, what I feel, I talk about, you know, my barber indicator of inflation. You know, when I moved here 24 years ago, price of haircut was $10. Today is $20. Okay. If you do the math, that's actually about a couple percent a year. Okay. So why does he raise price? Well, he doesn't raise it $10, $10.50, $11. He raises it from 10 to 12 to 15 to 20. It went from 15 to 20, 33% increase. And I said, Russ, how do, you, how do you figure that out? He says, well, when I get to the end of the month and there's nothing left, I raise prices. So that is real. I mean, what you're feeling, what I'm feeling, it, it's real. Um, but I think it's, it's transitory a little bit, but it's not 100%. And what we'll do is we'll... We'll do what we always do. We'll remember a past that never was. We'll, we'll believe that prices were normal because they get normalized at these higher levels, but it's just because yeah. the, the currency is getting worse. Here, here's what I'm trying to figure out. The, the um, regime of the last 20 some odd years, more than that, right? Going yeah. back between, you know, the Fed trying to smooth out the business cycle is you would have these, uh, you know, periods, you know, there's kind of periods of growth, right? Yeah. And then you would see that roll over and then they would cut and lower interest rates and then mm -hmm. like to, to stimulate demand, right? And and they never were able to raise the interest rates back up to where they were. So it's like a yep. bit of steady laddering down of interest rates. I guess the big thing that could change that would be if there was something that looked and felt like persistent inflation, right? Because then you kind of flip it on its head. And actually there are these like persistent periods of inflationary growth, which suck if you're operating in a business environment and you're just living, it sucks. But yeah. then, so it's almost like there's those periods of inflation then moderated by the Fed raising rates, trying to raise rates to fight that and then lowering them, raise rates. And then do you see what I mean? It's like a flip no, of look, the I, regime. It, it's certainly possible too, that my description is a distinction without a difference mm. and that what we've done is we turned ourselves into a banana republic, a mm. third world country, and we're going to have Brazil-like, Argentina-like, Venezuela, hopefully not, like 
inflation, which is really just currency debauchment. And that that's certainly possible, right? I mean, the administration's plural doesn't matter, right? Left, center, doesn't matter. Just the last five or six have put us on a persistent path of impoverishment, over-indebtedness, lack of flexibility, and ultimately, I, I do unfortunately believe, uh, unsustainability. And, mm. and it's going to end up in this environment where the haves and have-nots reach just epic. I mean, they're already bad, but it reaches just epic, epic proportions, proportion. right? The robber barons be, yeah. and and the, the people in breadlines, you know, because the 20s was the last time we had this level of, of income and wealth disparity. And we're almost, yeah. and we're actually now exceeding that. But I think it's actually going to get worse. Like the stat that no one talks about is the reason I'm, I, I will stand by the statement that, that, that the lockdowns were the dumbest government policy in the history of mankind. That's a big statement, but, but I, I believe it. You've done some dumb stuff. But it was 100% intentional, 100% intentional, $3.5 trillion. $3.5 trillion. And, and I am not anti-billionaire. Don't, don't get, I, I love billionaires. I love capitalists. I love people who build businesses. Me too. Jeff Bezos, love the fact that he got super rich. He created 4 million jobs that did not exist 30 years ago. Awesome. Awesome. But three and a half trillion dollars went from us, the average people, to the billionaire class during the pandemic. Mm. That was 100% intentional, 100% unnecessary, and 100% part of the plan. My view. I've got a... Um thought experiment for folks out there. If you, cause I used to, uh, you know, think about this, like, well, it's hard. You, you, you hear this stuff about, oh, shifting wealth and blah, blah, blah. But like, you're like, but yeah, but you can still print money and just give it. If you stop thinking about money as the green dollar bills that you have in your wallet and you start thinking about money as a claim on other people's time, then mm -hmm. you're, then it really starts to shift. It starts to shift for me. It's helpful for me to understand it because think about it, when you, when you, have money, what do you have? You can get other people to do things for you. Mm -hmm. You can buy other things, which when mm -hmm. you buy like a book or something, yeah. all you're doing is paying for the labor of the people that the guy that wrote the book, the yeah. guy or gal that wrote the book, the publisher. So when you the think printing, about money is a, the, the transportation the time. So yeah, you've just right. you've just claimed a bunch of other people's time. And if you start thinking about it like that, then there are only so many people in the world. There's only so many so much claim that exists. So when more <laughs> money gets printed around and shifted around, you haven't you can't impact the claim, the ultimate claim that the money represents. So good. you can only you can only shift who has access to that claim. Oh, more so good. Claim. I no, rewind the tape. I know it's not a tape, but rewind, people. Watch what he just said again. I mean, you know, infinite into finite, it's a bad outcome. And it's it's why, you know, it's why I'm wearing orange. It's why Bitcoin, it's why I have the sign. It, it's why Bitcoin is so valuable. Money is an asset that exists in the absence of a liability. All the stuff that we think of as money, 
It's a liability. It's just debt. It's mm-hmm. just credit. And it's backed by government debt. You know, I'd, I'd never actually seen Nick talk. Um, the guy who wrote uh, Layered Money. and Nick Batia. Yeah. And, I, and I, I watched and you know, he's, 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 he has a, I, I don't mean this in as critical as it sounds, but he has this funny. I mean, he stares so hard at the camera, which you're supposed to do, but he stares so hard at the camera. It kind of makes me un, uncomfortable a little bit. But, but his nine minute video where he explains you know, what, what I've talked about for, for years, this whole idea that you know, gold is money and the Medici's created this new system is brilliant. And, and everyone should watch that. You, we should put it in the show notes, the, the clip. But um, this idea that gold used to be behind everything, right? You could take a green piece of paper and you could give it to the government and they had to surrender gold yeah. or silver. You had silver certificates too, but that's gone, right? That, that's gone. And now we yeah. live in a world where, where the money that we think of as money is literally it's not yours, right? It's the banks and we have an IOU and that IOU is good most days, but sometimes not so good. And, and the thing I, the, the aha, the aha moment I had last night in the, in the spaces with the maxis was, you know, having a meaningful portion. I used to say at least some, I think everyone should have their running money, you know, the FU money outside the system in hard, you know, cold storage. Great. But like, no, it should be the bulk of your worth. Like, well, no, yeah. no. Well, and I want to go, okay, now I see it. Um, and that's a, it was interesting. Can I give my framework actually for the maxis, which is evolving a little bit? Um, which, first, you want to guess how old uh, Alexander Hamilton was in 1776 when the revolution started? Oh, um, 23, 20, 24? He was 21. 21. He was 21, man, which is nuts. And can you imagine being alive back then? I mean, think about how radical uh, what these people were proposing was. And they probably didn't want to hear the counter argument. They're like, this is the way and it is righteous. And you know what? It birthed America. So I, you know, sometimes when I hear these arguments. um, Well, what's funny is we call them the founding fathers. They were the founding children. They were, yeah. They were the founding children. And they were really young. Kids, kids. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, younger than me. But that, but but you know what? That that young people create everything, and we yeah. it's, it's the fourteen year cycle I talk about. You know, what? Who created the mainframe computer? A bunch of young people. Who created the microchip? A bunch of young people. Who created yeah. the internet browser? A nineteen year old. Who created Google? Twenty one year olds. I I think it's the the youth, but it's also this like unwillingness to listen to reason. Uh, like, like you and I love debate, right? We're, we're here debating and saying, oh, this is interesting. That's interesting. I've got an open mind. Change doesn't happen. Big change isn't affected by like, well, here are the two sides of the argument. Change is affected by someone being like, it's my way or the highway. And I am willing to put everything on the line for this. So when I see the maxis, I'm, you know, it's not my, it's not my personal cup of tea, but I respect I yeah. respect it, and I'm. You know what? I'm just glad they exist. You know, in the same way that I, I'm not a hardcore libertarian, I'm glad though that we have some of those in the states. These like amen, amen. So, who and, live out in the woods. I'm glad they exist. They serve a purpose in my view. Hundred so, percent. And respect. I well said. Well, well summarized. Well summarized. 
Yeah. I've got, all right, I've got, uh, I know we're running out of time here. I've got one thing that I saw this week that I couldn't believe that was so negative, but I want to end on a positive note because I think yes. we're doing Sinister Saturday. So here's my Sinister Saturday and then I'll end on a positive note. Yep. The Sinister Saturday is, there's an article reported by the New York Times, House Democrats campaign arm is elevating John Gibbs, a far right candidate endorsed by Donald Trump, I guess, against Republican uh, Rep. Peter Meyer, a Republican who voted to impeach Trump in an effort to highlight candidates they think will be easier to beat this fall. So the Democrats are supporting an alt-right crazy in favor of a moderate Republican because they think it'll be easier. You know, all right, here's why this kills me. It is so risky. That type of brink. Oh. It's cynical at the highest level. But you know what? Those same people who are employing this strategy they probably wanted Trump in there because they thought he was going to be the easy one to defeat. And look at what look at what they got us. I look. I, I'm, this is this I'm so is sick to death. This is Guam, this. baby. This is Guam. <laughs> they they had a uh, a snake problem, and so what do they do? They bring in a mongoose, and mongoose they're really good at killing snakes. So what happened? Killed all the snakes. So then what happened? Oh, they got a problem. They got a rodent problem. Massive <laughs> rat problem. Mice problem. Overrun. I mean, disease, pestilence. I mean, just terrible. And that's yeah. what happens. When you introduce an unnatural, and, and it is unnatural for one side to embrace someone of the, not, not, to, to your point, not a moderate, like if W and Bill Clinton wanted to run together, awesome. Ronald Reagan and Bill Clinton want to run together? John F. Kennedy and Bill Clinton, want, I mean, uh, and uh, Ronald Reagan want to run together? Awesome, because they're not extreme, they're in the middle. And, but you take people like this, it's like magnet, right? They, they, they can't go together and you're gonna get, you're gonna get bad, bad outcomes. So that is dumb with a capital D. It's dumb, it's cynical, it's just like, it's disingenuous. God, it's, it's so disingenuous. And you know what? It also, it's a reminder. If you're listening to the show, I, I firmly believe, I will die on this hill. If you are fully aligned with one political party or the other, just they're, I know they look really different, but it is the same. It is the pursuit of power at the highest level. We need, we need to make some sort of change. I feel completely unrepresented by both. No, Michael, look at, we've talked about it. There's no left. There's no right. There's no Republicans. There's no Democrats. There's in and out. Yeah. And when you're in, I would agree with that. you do or say whatever it takes to stay in, just like this, yeah. right? To stay in, I'm going to take a crazy, like like a loony bin person and put them, and I say, I don't know this person. I shouldn't say that. That's, that's, that's uncharitable. Mm. But, and when you are out, you do or say whatever it takes to get in. Yeah. Let's end on the positive note. Yes, I know this absolutely. Has been talked to death. I know absolutely. this has been talked to death, but I still just love it the James Webb telescope, which was a feat of modern engineering. And if anyone, like I personally love thinking about, if I, if we weren't hosting this podcast, I'd be doing a podcast on, don't judge me, on aliens. I, because I'm, I'm sure. so fascinated by cosmos, what's out there. Yeah, the cosmos. Like, is there any question that's more interesting to ask than that? I mean, so the, but you should look it up. It's, it was a feat yeah. of engineering. It was an enormous project. And you know what else is cool about it? The reason I'm bringing it up now, you know, even with things as screwed up as they are, even with, you know, you got people fighting geopolitics, we still launched a billion dollar telescope into space. 
I'm glad at least someone out there is doing some forward planning. And even when all this crap yeah. is going on, we can still make those type of investments because I think they're very cool. And well, important. look, I mean, if if you just the, the cynical version is, well, why do I need a less fuzzy picture of a bunch of stuff that doesn't exist anymore? Right? It's gone, mm. you know, and the lights just finally get well because it raises questions. You know, Carl Sagan, God rest his soul, and we'll still calling you Mini Carl, um, because you, you like these same questions, is, was, was just this amazing guy who spent his whole life contemplating the cosmos, right? The, the big questions. And it's funny, I, I was telling you that I, I went and played pickleball with, with this friend of mine who's much younger, 15 years younger than me, and he kicked my butt, but, but it was fun. Um, and we're sitting there talking afterwards, uh, having a beer, and... Uh, we're talking about just similar on the other end, right? On the cellular level. We're talking about if you actually thought about what happened in your body every day, your mind would stop working. Like you shed 240 million skin cells. What? What, what, what are you mm. talking about? How do 240 million of anything form in every living person in the world every day? And think about what it took for me to just speak those words, the musculature movements, the uh, you know, why did I not hit myself in the face when I put my hand up and then go further down into the cells, the ATP that had to get released to create the energy because it was stored in a cell, my mind blows. And the same thing is... You know, Pomp on his podcast always asks people, last question, you know, aliens, yes or no? And so he asked me, and I'm like, yeah, probably, but define alien, right? If you mean little green men that fly around on spaceships, no. Hmm. If you mean life as we define it, yeah, yeah, for sure. Hmm. Intelligent life, harder, but, but, likely um i'll take the other i'll take the more extreme position here yeah. i i don't want to be too extreme because i want people to still view me as a credible person yeah. i i find it highly likely that humanity trying to ponder the meaning of existence is basically equivalent to like an ant trying to ponder the meaning of existence we're on the same on the barometer of life of, of I, I, re I refuse to believe that humanity is even close to the final evolved most evolved form of life like although, although very... think about this to, 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 to that point think about this though think about the idea that we're sitting here having a conversation mm. and and forget the fact that we're doing it in real time in hd talking into square metal and glass boxes Let's just take that off the table for a second because I don't understand how that works. But let's just talk that we're physical sentient beings. And you know, one of my, my favorite things is when, when air turns to breath. I think that was mm. a book title. It was a book, yeah. You know, but, but Jason's air, been telling me to read that for years. But just think about this. I mean, air exists everywhere. But breath is life. I mean, mm. if... If, if I'm breathing, I, I, we have life. Pretty crazy stuff because one moment in time, you know, for all of us, that breath will go away. Where's it go? 
Yeah. So, but back to this point of, of, of the, the big picture is think about how unlikely, truly impossible it is that we go from primordial ooze, right? Big bang, suck in energy, microorganism, fish, whatever, whatever you believe. How, how unlikely is it? It's like the, oh, 10, 10 million monkeys, well, someone will type Shakespeare. Nope. No, they won't. I, I mean, physically, statistically, it's possible. Nope. And the way the brain works, it's not possible. It's not possible. I mean, it's just not, it's not, it's not, it's, it's not possible, but, but here it is. And here we, we have them. Maybe um, viewers will decide whether we, we have them or not, but I, I, I can get around the idea that it could, that something this unlikely humanity could only happen one time. Now, mm. could some other thing, it's like hard forks, right? You know? Yeah. We got the one true Bitcoin and then we got all the other forks. So we got the one true humanity and we got these other forks along the way. Maybe, I don't know. It's, I, I love this conversation though, because you could do this for hours and hours. Yeah. But we don't have time. I, you know, I to, to close, and I wanted the non-cynical part of the James Webb telescope is most uh, big breakthroughs in technology, including like commercial technology, uh, come from un unstructured research. Uh, like you can look at like a lot of the stuff that comes out of DARPA, Right. I mean, that that's the actual and that's harder for you and me to be like, let's fund all these scientists to go do nerdy stuff. But a lot of useful stuff comes out of that, too. I forgot in my life, conclusion. When, when, when life, does all yeah. the good stuff happen? Unstructured. When you're just sitting around thinking, actually yeah. thinking, tinkering, when you're not afraid of failing. Like this yeah. is one of my big personal pet peeves. So, oh, I don't want to lose money then you're never going to make any money. If you don't yeah. make lots of investments and actually have some that disappear, just blow up spectacularly, you're never going to make a lot of money. If you don't willing to fail, right? If you're not willing to fall on your face and you're not going to be successful, you have to be willing to take risks. You have to be willing to push. Like I go, Mark, you can't say things like that. Like what? Like what? Like, well, what if you're wrong? I'm like, I'm, wrong all the time. I don't care if I'm wrong. I want to have dialogue. I want to have debate. I want, I want someone to say, Mark, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. What are you talking about? Well, explain to me why I'm wrong. Explain to me what you think. Explain. Help me learn. Unstructured research, glorious, right? My favorite story. We made a ton yeah. of money. This thing called um, dense wave multiplexing, right? This yeah, think engineer, he gets laid off in the recession in the 90s. And he says, I can't take my project. And I've told the story before. People are like, dense wave multiplexing? What are you talking about? Yeah, get out of here. You're fired. Take your stuff. No one would back him. Because they're like, what? You was trying to light through a prism? And I, I, I don't understand. What we're doing right now is dependent on dense wave multiplexing. Because a single fiber optic cable can take X. But if I divide the light into 256 colors, I get more capacity. I get more bandwidth. I get more connectivity. I make the world a better place. Boom. Single guy. One person. Changed the freaking world because he would sit in a lab and think unstructured and think big. And you know I don't like 
the E guy, but I do respect his constant willingness to think bigger than what's in front. And I think he needs to give credit to the other people that are involved, but, but I, I do respect, and look, zero probability in my mind that we ever colonize Mars, but to think about it, that's worth something. Yeah. Who knows? I, I, I have no specific opinions on Mars. I would say I would, I would always take the over in terms of, I, I will bet that humanity is capable of more than we always think we're capable of at the time. I know we've, we're way over time, so we've got to wrap it. Mark, this was a really fun one. As always, best hour of my week. Same time next week, my friend. Cheers. Cheers.